0: This is my calling, this is my purpose. My entire life has been full of loss. There's been loss of childhood, there's been loss of identity. I mean, there's just a lot of loss and I've used that loss to be helpless. I've given it so much power that I myself thought I had no choice. Day.
1: Welcome to your For Women Who Roar podcast. This is your host, Megan February, and I am here with the lovely Jen Hepton. Welcome.
0: Hi. I'm honored to be here. I have been looking forward to this for like so long.
1: <laughs> Me too. <Yay. laughs> it's so exciting to yeah. have you here and to drink tea and all the things. Talk mm. about grief. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Like, How do you get into that grief conversation? Where do you start? You're like, let's talk about grief. Yeah, it can... Isn't it funny? Like you just automatically start laughing whenever you get really nervous about like a topic like trauma and grief. You just are like, "Ah!" Mm -hmm. yeah, I wonder what that is. Is Oh God. I mean, it's like, uh, you're creating a a wall around yourself, kind of a barrier that's going, okay, I'm ready. Mm -hmm. And you're gearing up for that big punch.
0: Yeah, totally. It's like, It's like you're preparing yourself, like, almost like self-preservation. Okay, here we go. I'm going to talk about something that's going to be really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Oh, gosh, there's just so much stigma. I'm like, okay, release, release. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally get that.
1: Yeah, and I think you set up that boundary, and then slowly it's like little punctures you know, to allow the air to move through, Mm -hmm. and so it's not, like, a shock to the system that Mm -hmm. way, because if we were just to, like, go straight into it, it would just be too heavy, Mm -hmm. so just Mm -hmm. little bits at a time. Yeah,
0: because, you know, grief is heavy, loss Mm -hmm. is heavy, but, you know, so is a lot of human emotions, and grief and loss is Mm -hmm. a human emotion, Mm
1: so... Uh, Jen is a grief coach and um, specifically working with miscarriage and infertility and anything else you want to add to that? Miscarriage, infertility,
0: pregnancy loss. Mm-hmm. Um, also, been working with a, a lot of women um, who have experienced silent losses like mm-hmm. health. Um, I have a client who is struggling with autoimmune and that's, you know, that's grieving your health, what your your expectation of what you think your health should be. And so, um, you know, autoimmune is definitely one of them. So there was one lady I I was kind of coaching and supporting her through her, uh, loss of her relationship with her, your boyfriend that she was with for 10 years. Mm -hmm. So we go through all these situations in life, but we, we don't realize that it's loss and grief that's also involved in it. And I think as soon as people realize, oh, like I'm grieving, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm grieving, oh, I'm grieving, it almost gives you permission to feel angry, to feel jealous, to feel sad, to feel it all. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's one of the reasons I do what I do is just to bring awareness that a lot of what we experience and the emotions we experience is because of grief nor bad or good, but when you are able to understand that, then you're able to be like, okay, now, now I have the awareness, and I can figure my my shit out.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, me and Jen were just talking about just a second ago how <laughs> I literally like yesterday just began to acknowledge that, oh, yeah, I'm depressed, and how hard that is to acknowledge that when especially things in your life are going well, I have this amazing business that's launching and the magazine and everything's so exciting but then it's like I can't be sad I can't be angry so I but yesterday when I finally acknowledged it and I like laid in the bed and I was like oh shit (laughs)
2: this
1: is this is all the signs I'm back Mm -hmm. and I think when I let myself feel that and be there it was a relief like I don't know what to do with it but it was actually at least a relief to name it Mm, there is so much power in naming our grief our anger our love Mm
0: -hmm. our fear Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. totally and grief can manifest in so many different emotions too you know it can manifest in depression like symptoms and and in humor people start to go way off in their humor when they're grieving too like it just everybody has such a unique way of grieving and no there's no right way of grieving it's just the way you grieve and like you said like once you kind of realize oh this is what's going on it was like I mean how did it feel like in your body when you realized that
1: well it felt like I could breathe for the first time in a while actually I've kind of been feeling uh stuck in my breath um Um, hence panic attacks you know Mm so um, so it felt even though it felt heavy like something was landing because that's what grief does when you acknowledge it it lands I felt like I could breathe I felt a validation which is very healing
2: Mm -hmm. and
1: powerful Mm -hmm. too yeah because I think too when we're when we aren't naming something then it has power over us, Mm
2: -hmm, right? mm -hmm.
1: And that's why there's so much fear. And in all that suppression and all that kind of stuffing down our emotions, there's a power that it has over us until we name it and acknowledge it. And then suddenly we don't have to feel reduced by it.
0: Totally. Oh my gosh. It removes the shame. Mm -hmm. You still sometimes feel shame, which is an emotion like everything else. Mm -hmm. Um, But once you recognize it, you don't, You don't freeze in that state of emotion as soon as you recognize that you're in grief or loss or, okay, my anxiety is stemming from my loss or transitioning to something, um, which can be considered a loss as well, you know, starting from somewhere else and heading somewhere else. In that transition, in that bridge from moment to moment, there is grief, there is loss. Um, So when we acknowledge that, then we're able to kind of make, make decisions or choices
1: and what we need to do. So yeah. Now, oh, totally. Yeah. No, that is the launching pad to like when you can make a call about what you what can I do now? Now yeah. that I have come to this awareness, that is the beginning place to begin to take the step or the dive where you mm-hmm. need to go next. Mm-hmm. Because you're right, shame is such a huge category of this. If you can cut through the shame by naming it, then it no longer has power of you. And you can make the choice to talk to your friend. Mm-hmm. Go get the medication you need. Mm-hmm. Move your body if you're able to. Whatever mm-hmm. the case exactly, is. whatever works for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. So tell us about how how did you get into this work? What in your story has prompted you to be kind of this grief coach?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very a uh, very much a pain to purpose story. It's so interesting because when I, I, ask my, like, I asked myself that question a little while ago, I'm like, how did I get here? <laughs> how did I become a
1: grief coach?
0: You know, I have now realized i meant to do this. This is my calling. This is my purpose. My entire life has been full of loss. There's been loss of childhood. There's been loss of identity. I mean, there's just a lot of loss. And I've used that loss to be helpless. I've given it so much power that I myself thought I had no choice. And so when my husband and I were going through our fertility journey, it's been very challenging. So a lot of losses there as well. And then, um, you know, just recently, last year, May 28, 2017, we lost our daughter at 39 weeks and five days and it was a pregnancy after loss because six years before that, six, no, five years before that, we lost twins at 22 weeks. Mm-hmm. And from losing our twins, I went into PTSD without even knowing, without even knowing. So I was literally in trauma state for like four and a half, five years. Wow. Can you what? imagine that?
1: Yeah, I can. Yeah. <laughs> I can, actually, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. I can't. How did you begin to recognize that you were in that state?
0: Not until I lost Loie. So it was another devastating loss that I came to realize, shit, like, I've been dealing with trauma. Like, no wonder I'm super sensitive to arguments. No wonder I'm being triggered by little things. No wonder I'm blowing things out of proportion. Also... Don't get me wrong. I had to, I saw a therapist, and she officially had diagnosed me, and you know all that. But um, I was like, oh my god! It just it was like ding, 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 ding. Like this makes so much sense. Like all the panic attacks I was having. I remember my husband and I would get into like just a normal conversation, and I felt like he was attacking me, and I'd get into a little ball on the floor crying because I thought that was you know when you when you're in a trauma state, when you're in that trauma loop, and you you go fight, flight, freeze. And you stay in that frozen and there's your body's just protecting itself. And there's so many times I went there without knowing what it was until I lost Loi. And when I lost Loi, like losing the twins, but not, it was two different, gosh, two different scenarios, but still loss, still very much a loss. But um, she wasn't supposed to be my rainbow baby, you know, she's the one I was going to take home. So, you know, I carried her for 39 weeks, convinced myself this was actually happening And then, you know, short of, what, four days of her uh, due date, she passed away. And we went to the hospital. They couldn't find the heartbeat, and I had to deliver her. And so there's layer and layers and layers of loss there because, you know, obviously losing her, but also having to give birth to her, and then losing that layer of, I'm not a mom, anymore what's just happened here like there's just so many different layers and then through therapy and through support because when you grieve and when you experience loss the people you surround yourself with and the support that you find has a direct impact on how you grieve I didn't have that when I lost the twins I didn't have the support people were like oh you miscarried Fuck no, that 22 weeks? They were like babies. Like, don't tell me it's miscarried. Like, no support. No support. And literally when we we had to terminate that pregnancy for numerous reasons. People like I remember the doctor being like, oh, Nick, take your take your wife out for dinner. She's going through a lot. I'm like, take your wife out for dinner? And I'm terminating this. Like it was when I look back at it and share that story, I was like, oh my gosh, nuts. So the reason I'm sharing that is just because that experience and experience the experience of losing Loie are completely different, but still very traumatic. And with Loie, we were able to spend two day, two and a half days with her. So holding her, um, you know, starting the morning process, changing her, bathing her, very healing, extremely, extremely healing, and extremely painful. But that's our memory. Like I, my memory consists of carrying her. But for my husband, his memory is holding her and holding her body without her spirit in it. Just devastating. With all those recent losses and going through therapy, I needed a little bit more than therapy. I needed someone that could hold space for me and help me make sense of my life after loss. Because I always say, you know, after loss, You're just broken to a million pieces and you don't know what to do with these pieces. It's also very confusing and overwhelming, but in time you find that this is a gift and you can choose what pieces to pick up and how you want to live your life after,
2: Mm
0: but it does take time. And the therapists were great, but they were solving what happened. I needed someone to help me in the now and in the future. Um, I couldn't find it. And if I did, like, no disrespect, but they were very hallmarky, and I just don't do hallmark. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> you know? I was like, on. The, I was. I just remember that moment sitting at my desk on on Google, going grief coaching, grief counseling, or grief song. and it literally. I was. I cannot relate to you. Like, I had a miscarriage. Like, I am still young. Like, I can't relate to you. And, um, and I tried, but it just was, and then I'm like, right. The one thing I've been taught is, you know, create, create what you need. Like, Mm -hmm. and I'm such a creator. And so I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it because I'm going to do it in honor of my daughter and my twins. I'm going to do it because I want my daughter's legacy to keep going. I want to do it because I want people to know about Loie and also, It was my why and my intention and my purpose. So I kind of went through that pain and then created growth and purpose. And this was my purpose. And it's different for everybody. It doesn't have to be like change career and become a life coach or a grief coach. It could be anything. But that was kind of what happened. And also at the same time, it's actually quite healing for me. Mm -hmm. Because I'm a natural nurturer, space holder. And it just felt right. It Mm -hmm. felt like almost like a force bigger than myself was telling me to do it, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like I know, you know, um, and so that's how I became a life coach. So just, you know, just trying to create awareness and, you know, through the loss and grief and even infertility, it's such a lonely place. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly lonely, but shit, it's not, we all go through it, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not breaking news. We all go through loss and grief, like So it's so interesting how you can be so alone, but everyone goes through it. Mm -hmm. And I think there's that disconnect in our society about it. Mm -hmm. Like, again, the shame, Mm -hmm. the guilt. And it's like, no, bullshit. Call bullshit on it.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Let's talk about it. Let's, like, raise the awareness. Let's, like,
1: you know, just explode with it. Yeah. So you do um, one-on-one coaching with uh, women, Mm -hmm. and you also
0: do group coaching? Yeah, so it was so interesting as I was trying to figure this out, and I'm still trying to figure it out, figure it all out, how best to serve people. So what I do is kind of a grief companion. So if someone is going through grief at any stage, I hold space for them. We talk about what to expect. We almost kind of create a toolkit to help you live your life after loss. Then if you want to take it further, we can do like one-to-one coaching. And that sometimes goes into Um, looking at your coping strategies, recognizing your limiting beliefs, Mm -hmm. patterns we grew up with when we were a child, recognizing trauma, but I'm not like a doctor or or a psychotherapist or anything, but we just gently look at that. And sometimes my clients will have a therapist at the same time.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. And really kind of doing some shadow work, Mm -hmm. you know, working with all those shadow feelings and being aware of that. But And being aware that you can grieve and feel happiness at the same time, but really kind of digging deep with the one-to-ones um, to create an empowering life in loss. Sometimes it's not like after loss, it's like you're still in the lo- Grief is forever, right? Like it just kind of comes and goes like waves, mm-hmm. like you were saying earlier. And I also do, um, I'm going to launch a group program soon around pregnancy loss. Uh, If you've experienced uh, pregnancy loss, miscarriage, stillbirth, looking at maybe a four or eight week program and just kind of working through everything. And events. I'm starting to really, starting to do more events, healing circles. I have a healing circle, online events. I'm just trying to raise awareness. And then, A couple of weeks ago, I actually did a grief talk at a corporate gig. Loved it.
1: Loved it. Yeah, I was
0: just like, yeah, I was raising awareness. I'm like, let's talk about this, you know? Uh So I really want to do that more Uh just to really, like even if you haven't experienced that depth of loss in your life yet, you will, Uh and you will know somebody that, that will. And so to be able to have that, those tools, I guess, or knowledge or awareness. So when it does happen, fricking priceless. I wish I had that. So yeah, those are the different offerings that I'm working at now, but you know,
1: forever changing and evolving. That's awesome. One question I had for you, Jen, I kind of already mentioned it a little bit earlier, was when you're working with folks that have gone through this, how do you kind of support yourself with triggers that it might bring up for you I know for myself, when I was doing trauma-informed yoga embodiment work, I've tried to do it over and over and over again. And every time, I would totally be triggered and it was too much to hold. So I know there are a lot of people that feel called into certain work but aren't sure how to take care of themselves. What would you say to them? I love that question.
0: I love that question because we've so often forget about ourselves when we're serving, Mm -hmm. and we need to make sure that our cup is overflowing before we really serve other people. So vital. So I I get triggered, especially, um, you know, talking to a mom who's just lost their baby. Definitely get triggered. Depending on the situation, I've got some tools that I usually use. So if I get triggered, I usually be like, okay, I'm being triggered because something emotionally is something I need to work through or there's something that I need to be aware of that's triggering me. And I want to be as present as possible with who I'm working with. So I'll jot it down on a piece of paper and literally like move it like a post-it note and go, okay, that's at the edge of my desk. And then I'll come back. And if it happens again, I'll do it again. And then after the session, I'll look at these and like, am I still triggered? Yes. Okay. So what am I going to do? Sometimes, um, like I also do healing work. So sometimes I will go for a walk movement, like vigorous movement, or I will, you know, spray rose water um, or crystals or meditation or listen to some loud music, just a switch. I just need to switch and get out of it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm still aware of it. And sometimes I journal about it too. Mm -hmm. It just really depends on the trigger. And, you know, there has been a moment where someone shared a story. And, see, we never saw our twins. It was very clinical. And, like I said, the support was shit. Um, And she shared a picture of her 19-week baby boy. She asked permission. And I said yes. And I saw. And it was a huge trigger for me. And I was just completely honest with her. I said, thank you for sharing this. I'm really honored. But I have to be honest. Like, it's triggered me. Like we had that session that day and I just asked for space and I said, is it okay if we do the session tomorrow? She was totally like, she felt, she was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, no, nothing to be guilty about, nothing to worry about. I just want to be, you know, honest with you, but it did. And so it does happen. Um, I do have tools, you know, self-care is very important. Um, baths, medicine salt baths.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: there's also a meditation I do that's um, cord cutting. But the cutting is very – I feel like it's so violent. I'm like, cut the cord. I'm like, I don't want to cut the cord. I just want to gently pull it out. (laughs) So um, I just say it's like a – I just unplug the cord, you know, unplug the string. So there's a meditation that you can do where you can energetically just – unplug from the situation mm. so I've had to come up with different things and it ha- depends on the situation but mm-hmm. such a good question mm-hmm. you know as yoga teachers or healers or any service provider you have to really take care of yourself are you going to get burnt out oh yeah and then my PTSD will get re-triggered oh yeah so important mm-hmm. and then working for yourself you can timetable things I have buffers in between meetings so I can have time to just chill out mm-hmm. really
1: important Mm-hmm. so good and like yeah i think it's an ongoing process to learn how totally. to really like listen to yourself and find out what you need and you know i think as women we're kind of trained to learn that to take care of ourselves is selfish oh. which is total bullshit like yeah so yeah i mean we we take care of ourselves so that we can thrive and exist because we're worthy of it, one. But yes. Yes. <laughs> We shouldn't even have to have this conversation. I know. I know. Sh- it shouldn't be something we have to explain, but one, we're worthy of it. And two, like you said, we have to be able to fill up ourselves in order to be able to give out anything to another. Mm. And to gift. be
0: just mindful and present. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why it's not selfish. You've got to, you've got to take care of yourself so that you could live this life and be present. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm glad you brought that up.
1: Yeah, and that is totally, I think, where burnout comes from. It's like when you're not taking care of yourself, then of course you're going to get pissed off at the people you're caring for. And you're like, wait, why am I mad at the thing I love the totally. people I care about? You get resentful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah totally. like it can feel really confusing and guilt-inducing when in actuality – You've just when was the last time you did something kind for yourself? Do you even know what that looks like? Can you come up with something you love to do for yourself? Do you know how hard it is for people to tell me that.
0: It's crazy. Mm-hmm. I hope it's changing. I feel like there's this energetic shift. I really do hope. But yeah, it's just like mirror work or even like igno- like especially with women that are going through infertility. I'm like, what have you done for yourself today?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Or can you tell me something that you you're really proud of because you're like on this constant treadmill trying to get pregnant, trying to get pregnant, trying to get pregnant, trying to get pregnant. pregnant. And they're like, oh, and I'm
1: like, okay, I need to do this more often. That's so good. Um, So one of the themes we focus on with For Women Who Roar is voice, obviously, especially for this first issue. And really, I think grief revolves a lot around voice whether it's that we've been silenced or whether we're just roaring out that pain, where in your life have you experienced a moment of silence and also a time that made you roar? Mm, Such an amazing question. So the
0: first kind of image that comes to my mind when you ask me that is as a little girl. I was very much a go-getter. I was very, very creative and wanted to just explore the world and just expand and just just go, just live life. And I was told that's not what girls do. I wanted to join the drama club. No, no, no. You have to come home. I wanted to join the cheerleading squad. No, 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 no. That's too late. The practices are too late. You need to come home. Oh, and you don't want to be dressing like that. You know, pauper girls don't dress like that just a very old-fashioned way of growing up quite sheltered. And I know that my parents did it because that's what they know and it's out of love, but my voice was very not hurt. It was, it was not hurt um, growing up and I did lose a lot of my zest for life as a child and just kind of stopped really living, especially in high school. Wasn't allowed to do anything. Wasn't allowed to join sports because I was a girl. And so there's a lot of that. So that's kind of the first image I get. Um, Another image I get is when um, we were trying to get pregnant and my eggs were not healthy, much older than my actual age. And some of the doctors did not have good bedside manner. My husband's sperm amazing. Super sperm. Oh my God. So like I can, I can just imagine myself sitting in a room with my husband waiting for the results. And he comes in and he looks at my husband. He goes, you've got super sperm. Your sperm is amazing. You've got great morphology, just, and, and quantity, just amazing sperm. I'm thinking, oh great. Oh great. The sperm's good. Yeah. And then he looks at me, no joke and says, and so Jen, you're the one with the problem. Oh, your eggs are too old so they're just not going to work with IVF mm-hmm. and so we have to think of different things for you and I'm like you fucking ass I'm like what and I'm like can you just show me like the results and so I wanted to see the results and then I got out of there as quick as I could and I'm like I am not seeing that man ever again and my husband's like why I'm like oh well <laughs> love you Nick but you know, he didn't say so I had super A, you know, like, and he yeah. then, he obviously realized very quick enough, like, oh God, you're right. And so that's when I started not talking about my fertility because I was shamed, very much shamed about it. Um, and there's a lot of shame not being able to have children. You're, you just, that's what you're supposed, I'm doing like air quotations, supposed to do, but not everyone has children. It's a choice we make, but I was putting that shame on myself. So that's the second time. And then when I lost Loie, I just lost my voice. I lost me in the in the death of my daughter. And so that was the most recent time. And that's why I chose. So there's a quote on my website, and I'm by Carl Young, and I gosh, I hope I say it right, but it's in the gist of, you know, like life happens to us, things happen to us, but it's our choice that we from our choices of how we create our life, you know. So I was like, and I totally didn't say that right, but I really believe that, you know, like bad things happen to good people um, and you have a choice to stay in that victim mentality or role or energy for too long or Mm -hmm. to choose to do something with it, to move from it. And so I chose to speak up. Mm -hmm. I chose to fucking yell and share my story. And to this day, my mom's like, "Um, why did you share the picture of Loie on Facebook? obviously it's a picture of a dead baby and I'm like mom because I need people to know that's my daughter you know so I still have to justify myself but I don't care because I'm doing it out of love for my daughter and 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 I'll keep doing it until people feel comfortable with it
1: but yeah those are the
0: times where I've I've really felt that I lost my voice
1: thank you for sharing that I love how you shared I mean I don't love the story because it's just pisses me off about the doctor (laughs) appointment oh my god I mean Come on. Um,
0: Ridiculous. <laughs> this is literally like three years ago. Like, it's, regardless of what time it was, it's yeah. just, yeah. But here And I'm some, not the only
1: one. Yeah. Oh, I bet. I imagine hearing someone say that about your body was probably re-traumatizing, um, but also, again, just so shame-evoking. How did you come to kind of befriend your body after that experience? Oh, I didn't. I didn't.
0: I didn't. Um, I fought against it. I've never been that person that didn't like their body. I've never been that person to be shamed of their body. So when I was starting to get these shameful remarks from the doctor, it's like, you're not working. For this and that reason i started to build it up damn this is how it feels like my body's not working my body's kind of useless like why is my body not producing an egg good enough for a baby so then i started to really really self judge and self-hatred for my body but i'm also very much of a person that will like okay this is what i need to do i need to exercise i need to do all these things it's so interesting that you've asked that question because Before we got pregnant with Loey, I was like, great shape, super healthy, like really ready for this pregnancy. After Loey, I can't even look at myself in the mirror. Mm -hmm. Like I've gained a lot of weight, grief weight, pregnancy weight, and there's a lot of shit with that, Mm -hmm. you know, postpartum body with no baby. Also, I hold on to that weight because it reminds me, oh, my voice is cracking, speaking truth um i hold on to that weight because it reminds me of my daughter so as soon as i start to really exercise again and let go i feel like i'm letting go of her and i know that's not true and i'm working through that but kind of how i feel at the moment i'm starting like i'm starting to exercise more and like i move with grief like movement is very important when you are grieving because the body needs to move because the body holds on to it um but when I would like, try to do vigorous exercise, I would feel so fluish afterwards. I'd feel really run down. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to do this again. But then I realized it's because my body's releasing the sadness and the sorrow and the grief. And I need it to just happen. So that's kind of my next journey is mm-hmm. exercising and getting healthy for the future.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Petrified. But I'm going to step into it. I'm stepping into the fear, and I'm stepping in, and I'm showing up. So, yeah, powerful
1: question. Mm-hmm. I really resonate with that answer. I, when I um, experienced sexual assault um, when I was in college, I came to yoga. That was the first time I came to movement. I was never like a mover, <laughs> shaker kind of girl uh, <laughs> at all. And, but my body was hurting everywhere. I was feeling so much somatic pain, sharp tingles everywhere, and muscle aches, and- Muscle aches, yeah. Oh, it just hurt to exist Mm -hmm. in my body. And so I thought, well, people do this yoga thing, and like Tai (laughs) Chi, and so I like bought all the books, or got them from like the library. Actually, I think I got them from my parents' house, they were like from the 80s or something. (laughs) Funny. And uh, I took them home and I would go outside and would practice like Tai Chi in the backyard and like just feeling the ground beneath me and very gentle movements. I would do child's pose um, and then down dog and then come back to child's pose and feel exhausted because all I could do at that time was just sleep and hurt. And anyway, the process, I just slowly began to come home to my body, and it was a scary thing, because I knew if I began to heal, that I would have to let go of this assault that I felt nobody knew about, nobody could validate this experience but me and my body. So if my body was well, then... What happens to that experience? Does it just go away? So I really appreciate you sharing that because I, I truly relate to that processing trauma in our body and that process of healing. It's I don't think people don't understand how scary it is to mm-hmm. heal, to let yourself recover. It's truly brave mm-hmm. to let your body be embodied mm. and kind of resurrected power yeah so true um you just recently did a photo shoot <laughs> are you good with talking yeah about totally that? totally well it really speaks to kind of what you just shared about and it was such an empowering experience it sounded like so would you tell yeah us of
0: course um so I have a really dear friend um uh Julia who um is a photographer a yogi but she also does trauma healing work as well. And um, she sent me an email asking if I was interested in doing some modeling or some kind of, um, you know, bedroom, sexy work. And I was like, yeah. And I was surprised I said yes. <laughs> I was like, what, Jen? Like, you're 20 pounds over your normal, whatever that means, weight or whatever, pre-pregnancy weight. Um, what are you doing? Like, But I just felt... Like, I needed to do it, and I knew that it was going to be quite scary. But at the same time, I knew if I stepped into this fear with her, because I know her, and she's very – she's an amazing space holder, that it will be okay, and there will be a breakthrough at the end. Sometimes when we feel the most anxious or the most fearful, there's always a breakthrough, right? Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'm just going to do it. And then I'm like, what do I bring? What do I bring? And she's like, just bring three outfits. I rented, like, this – Airbnb, this bedroom is like very like Scandinavian, like very simple. I'm like, okay, okay. So I brought a very thick wooly sweater. (laughs) Um, I brought like lacy bra and underwear. Um, I brought like like a boyfriend type of collared shirt, you know, like a business type of shirt, buttoned. And then I brought like this lingerie I bought like before pregnancy. It's one piece, lace number. I'm like, I'll bring it, but I'm not going to wear that. And it started off with the, with the sweater, like, like, you know, just with underwear and sweater. And then it was just, we just played, and she just was like, "Do you ready for the other outfit? I'm like, okay. And when I think about it, it was the most empowering, powerful experience that I have had, one of them. Because I stepped into my fear, because I felt comfortable with who I was with, and I was really able to let go. And so, like, when you see the progression of photos, it starts with chunky sweater to, like, lacy one-piece. So I did wear that lacy one-piece. And when you look at those images, like, the first time I looked at the images that she sent to me, I cried because I'm I'm not who I used to be anymore. I'm that person that has a dead baby. I'm that person that has experienced loss in such a horrible way. I'm just a different person now. And so when I see that picture, I see that different person. I don't see the person I was before. And so there's that grieving process and honoring that. But by doing that, I've gained so much power. And so it's just such an interesting process and I'm so grateful I did it Mm -hmm. so grateful and there's a few pictures that I look really hot
1: in so I was like all right (laughs) you do look hot I will uh second that she showed me and she looks amazing oh thanks yeah Yeah. so I was like damn I
0: can send these to my husband hell yeah yeah you never know but yeah so There's a little bit of that too, but the most empowering experience and like seeing the progression of my journey through those photos. Wow. Mm -hmm. I love how that photography holds a story for you. So powerful. And she made me, sorry, she didn't make me, but she asked me to look at a mirror and she took a picture of me staring into a mirror and I was like, dang, like that's when you have to do, like when you stare into your eyes, into your soul, into the shadow, into everything, you're like. You got this. You realize that you have that inner strength. You realize you do have it. But how many times do we actually stare at ourselves? And let us, it's such an interesting process. Mm-hmm. It's so good.
1: What did it? What was it like to look in the mirror at yourself? I was scared at
0: first. I was like, oh, I don't think I'm. I know I feel uncomfortable. She's like, just play around with your hair. And then obviously the longer we stayed there, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm stepping into it. I'm stepping into this nervousness. And I was like, okay, God, gotcha, Jen, you are so re- resilient. Shit, girl, you've been through a lot. Fuck you, like strong and courage, courageous and brave, but also weak and and you're suffering. And
1: it was just deep. Yeah, yeah. I I would love for our listeners. Um, let's challenge them mm. with a healing mirror exercise. Mm. Do you want to give them a prompt?
0: God, you know who does amazing uh, mirror healing exercises? Louise Hay she has this book called mirror mirror work and i'm actually going to redo it next month but um she has a lot of great exercises in there and the one that kind of sticks to me now is you know you look at yourself in the mirror you just take some time to look at your features and your eyebrows your nose your cheeks and your chin and kind of start looking at your eyes and when you start you know your breath starts to settle down and you're breathing because sometimes it can be quite nervous and your breath can rush when you return to your like your your regular breath you can say something that you really like about yourself which can be really difficult so you know I like how I am I like my sense of humor I like um, my resilience I like um, the way I parallel park my car like it could be anything that comes up you know like I like the way I make roast chicken like whatever but mm-hmm. Just that I like. And then also the feels are really important. You know, I feel empowered in my health. I feel strong in my career. Like anything. The I feel and what I like about myself. I think might be two. Mm -hmm. That feels comfortable. Or even just staring at yourself in the mirror and telling what you love about yourself. I love you for this. I love you for that.
1: Mm -hmm. So, So friends, go do that (laughs) after this podcast, even if I know it'll be so resistant, you'll be so resistant to it, I'll go do it too, and just like, just take a minute. It doesn't have to be long, just get by yourself, look in the mirror, say something kind to yourself, Mm. Um, validate yourself, advocate for your face, advocate for your body and its existence. Yeah, I love that.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So Mm -hmm. well said. So last question, Mm -hmm. what would you like to tell women that are listening today? If you could say one thing to them, what would you want them to know?
0: Oh, strength. Do we have time to read something? Yes, of course. When I lost my daughter, I bought this book called Permission to Mourn. And there is, um, I guess, a chapter that says, you are stronger than you think. And I want everyone to know that. Sometimes we may not feel as strong as we feel or maybe we feel resentful for being strong, like I'm always the strong one. But strength and inner strength and being strong has so many different layers to it. But at the end of the day, through all our trials and tribulations and challenges, you do have that inner strength. You are stronger than you think. You are stronger than you know you are stronger than you feel right now and you are stronger than you believe in this moment you have already walked through fire and you can do it again and again and again if necessary and so can i beautiful thank you my friend thank you my friend i love you i love you
2: Day.